Hello and welcome to the Coon Hunting University podcast. This is your host, Tyler Duncan. And like always, class is in session. Hey y'all, so Coon Hunting University is brought to you by Superior Light Company, best lights in the business. If you don't believe me, go check them out, nighthunters.com. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout and receive almost $20 off Hellcat Max. But that code is good for any superior light on that website and the battery tester, which works with the Hellcat Max. So go over there and check them out. So first off, I'd like to say that if you're interested in getting some Coonot University logo gear, we have some now available. We also have the Universal Language shirt. I have the link to the website in the description box below. You can check that out. Today I'm joined by Trevor Wade. Trevor's the Coonhound Project Manager for UKC. He's got a lot of insight into the future of UKC, and that's what we're going to go over. We're also going to talk about the Final Four of the World Hunt. I want to release this episode earlier, but I had some more in front of it I had to do. I wish I could have released it earlier. We, we actually recorded this like two days or three days after the World Hunt, so it was fresh on his mind. And we're going to talk about the big hunts within UKC and what all goes into putting on one of those big hunts. We're going to talk about Trevor's background. It's just a real interesting uh, interview, and I think y'all like it. So... Without further ado, Trevor's going to be joining us virtually. Let's go on ahead, get him online. Y'all sit back and enjoy. How you doing today, buddy? Hey, pretty good, pretty good. Been looking forward to it. Yes, sir. I'm happy to have you on here, Trevor. So, Trevor, if you would, please tell the folks that are listening to this a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I'm 31 years old. Um, I'm from a small city down in southeast Tennessee, called Athens. I got a, a married to my wife, Jenna. I got a three-year-old daughter named Brindley. Just moved to Michigan here a few years ago, actually September of 2019. That was to, to take the job at UKC. Before that, I guess I, I worked in an automotive uh, factory background, went to University of Tennessee. So uh, that's a little bit about me away from the coon hunting side of things. How did you get your start into coon hunting? Yeah, most people have a good story about being young and uh, hearing dogs out their windows and and all that good stuff, but it wasn't so much the case for me. Um, Really, coon hunting was one of the the last hunting ventures that I got into. I grew up always hunting with my dad and my brother, but we did more deer hunting, uh, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, those type of things, but I did always enjoy uh, running hounds, beagles back in the day, and then um, a lot of my family down there in Southeast Tennessee uh, ran coon hounds and I always enjoyed whenever season would roll around and we get to go with them, you know, a half a dozen times a year. And uh, growing up in the city, we just didn't have a lot of room for hounds there around the house. But once I graduated high school and uh, and got some places to keep some hounds, that's whenever I, I really got hot and heavy into the coon hounds. And it's, uh, it's it bit me hard and I've been just stuck with it ever since. So... Is the coon hunting when you're coon hunting southeast Tennessee versus Michigan? It's a little flatter in Michigan, I'd guess, huh? <laughs> hey, but it's a it's a little different. Yeah, there's uh not so many hills up here, and there's there's way more coon. It's yeah. a big difference, big difference. I've never been to uh, Michigan, but I've been to southeast Tennessee, of course, around Gatlinburg and all a lot, and it's beautiful country up through there. It really is. Um, Absolutely. I lived about an hour south of Gatlinburg, so really familiar with that area. So uh, luckily I was down in the valley, so it wasn't like those big mountains, but still still good rolling hills. Yeah, for sure. So how'd you get your start with UKC and what all does your particular job 
entail? Well, you know, uh, like I said, I worked at an automotive factory before starting here. And uh, one night I was sitting there working a 12-hour shift, uh, so often is the case in that line of line of work. And uh, it had to be around midnight. I was working midnights at the time, and I saw the the ad from UKC pop up about this job. And I just took a picture of it and uh, text it to my wife, said, I think I might, I think I would be pretty good at this. You know, long shot. I figured there'd be a lot of people going for it. And uh, long story short, I had a, a handful of uh, of interviews, got offered the job there. It must have been towards the middle of May. And it, it was that time I had a serious decision to make, uh, to pack up and move cross country. Um, at the time, the decision boiled down kind of to uh, a relatively young family. Uh, daughter was one year old at the time not really rooted down with friends and school and stuff down there in Tennessee. So uh, I figured if we're going to take a risk, we might as well do it while we're young. And it's it's paid off for me up to this point. As far as what the job entails, uh, being the Coonhound program manager there at UKC, basically my duties are to oversee the day-to-day management of the Coonhound program. Um, anything from scheduling events, fielding calls about hunts, or uh, maybe rule interpretations from the previous weekend, lots of that. Uh, obviously, we plan a lot of events. Um, just got just got done with a really busy month of planning events. I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit. Obviously, write a lot of articles, do a lot of uh, compiling results for bloodlines and online web results, uh, stuff like that. That's that's kind of what my job entails on a day to day basis. Tell me about your experiences at UKC major events prior to joining the team. Did you have any experience at them? Yeah, I, I, I like most working folks will tell you it's it's hard to travel to a lot of these events if you got a job and you're working to support your family or whatnot. Kind of got to be picky and choosy a little bit uh, when to take those vacation days. But uh, I had been to Winter Classic a handful of times. That was always a fun one for me to go to. It wasn't too far of a drive from the house, and it was in a good time of year to get vacation days. Um, had the pleasure of going to Autumn Oaks a handful of times. Um, did the zones a few times, even made it to the top hundred one time when it was down in Elberton, Georgia, which was a good year to do it for me since it was uh, pretty close to the house. Um, and Black and Tan Days was one that I tried to get to pretty often. And and that stuff is, I, I, I'm not going to say that I was just a, a true blue UKC guy. I really enjoyed UKC events, but I also hunted uh, major events and other registries as well. Uh, just, just like coon hunt, like competing. When you were just a participant at these UKC events, did you ever give it any thought as to the guys behind the scenes? And if so, how has your viewpoint changed now that you're the one who is behind the scenes? Yeah, you know, at the time when I was competing, I put very little thought into what was going on behind the scenes. Um, you got to think I was probably in my early to mid-20s. And at that time, all of our established clubs around the house had their officers set. Um, I didn't have a lot of uh, sway in local level clubs, wasn't. Uh, mostly just helping where I could. So I didn't know exactly what went into putting on an event at the local club level, let alone at, at a level that big. I credit my passion for putting on uh, coon hunt events to, uh, to an event that uh, a local group of coon hunters and I put together called the Track Down Cancer Hunt. That's, we started doing that back in 2014, and we did it for four years until uh, we had to go on separate ventures uh, got spread out a little bit, but we ended up uh, raising $24,000 over those four years for the American Cancer Society. And it was from through that that I learned a lot about what in what went into 
putting on an event and that's even a smaller event compared to a lot of the ones we do now, but you're talking about guides, judges, lining up event officials, you know, prizes, getting food for the participants, advertising, getting people there, securing venues, uh, different amenities for, for the folks that are going to be there to make it a good time. And then you get on the, the, the level that we're at now. Um, and, uh, man, it, my, my whole perception on it's changed since those days. And it's just, uh, there, there's so many finite details that goes into, into making these events a success. And there's a lot of moving pieces. And luckily at UKC, we have a really good uh, team where uh, it's not all on my shoulders. It's not all on Alan's shoulders. We have a lot of people uh, that can make these events successful. Man, that is great. And um, that's awesome to hear about that hunt that y'all put on. It really is. I, I wish we had more of that. You know, I know it's, but it's just so much that goes into them. Like you said, it's it's a lot, especially for one, there's no way one person can do all that. Oh, absolutely not. It, you know, I, I hear it all the time. Uh, people really want to do this, this kind of stuff. They want to be active. They got all these great ideas. And when it time, comes time to do it, uh, sometimes it's, it's crickets and that can be frustrating for for clubs trying to do it because it takes more than one person to to do this it takes more than a handful of people to do it it takes a, a whole community to pull off events like that and it takes all the coon, the coon hunters in that event in that community uh rallying together making sure they're not scheduling events on top of each other that's a big thing that we deal with every day um and uh you just got to work together and uh and make the best out of everything you do yeah it takes some unification between bunch of different people and it's great to see that you know and i applaud you and your team for doing that even when you weren't working with ukc you know that's awesome all right so we're sitting here in the world hunt this episode won't be released for you know a week or two but world hunt was uh just last weekend <laughs> tell me about the final cast of the world hunt the final cast of the world hunt. And I'm telling you, ever since I started at UKC, obviously I go in a lot of final casts, um, whether it be Grand American, Autumn Oaks, uh, the TOC final where there's $110,000 on the line, um, obviously Walker Days and Breed Day and stuff like that. But man, the world hunt, you talk about getting knots in your stomach. Um, that one just means more. Uh, even to even for me, just going out there to do a play by play, I was a nervous wreck, and I always am for the World Championship. It's uh, to me, it's it's the hunt of the year for us. It's uh, it's where the prestige lies. It's where the title lies. That title of World Champion. It's where uh, it's it's the important one for us, in my opinion. Each year, there's there's a lot of great events, obviously, but the World Championship stands alone. Um, the final four. Uh, I, ho I hope that uh, a lot of people watched the final uh, final cast live play by play that we did on YouTube. Man, I think uh, we're still as a company we're still a little green at doing that stuff, but I think that we're getting better. Um, we were working hard on it to give people a, a quality product that they like, and to uh, to not just follow folks around in the woods, but uh, to have to know exactly what's going on at all times. But for anyone who didn't watch it, we can talk about it a little bit. Of course, we had, uh, uh, let's see, we had Indiana Outlaw fresh off of uh, uh, Autumn Oaks victory in the final three. We had a dog named Lumber Joe fr up from Michigan, uh, Ricky Bryant hunting him, Jason Cooper hunting Outlaw. And then there was a dog, uh, Gerald Keegan was hunting named Miney, uh, or sorry, Minnie, Minnie. And she was a tough little female that, that won a bunch of casts leading up to it. 
and I knew it was going to be a good hunt right from the get-go. Uh, they they treed a coon together right out of the truck. Outlaw was there treeing, but wasn't declared tree. Took some minus. Uh, Outlaw treated treated really we recut from there. Outlaw trees a den. There's a coon a tree over, but there's just no obvious path path for it to cross. But uh, still was a a big tree with some holes in it, so we circled that one up. Um, at that by that time, many had split treed. As a matter of fact, Joe was, had split treed too while we we're on the way to many. Uh, when we get to Minnie's tree, she's got a coon, and that's uh, where the, uh, the, sc the scratching offense uh, happened. Uh, dog was cut loose before before it was uh, had the option to cut loose. So uh, call was questioned, took it back to the master hounds. The dog was scratched. Uh, that's Minnie. So we were left with Joe and uh, Outlaw. Uh, they both ended up trading a couple more coons each after that, but uh, Joe ended up being our world champion. Uh, he looked, he looked good that night. Ricky Bryant put a ton of time into those dogs. I don't know if you heard the the story or not, but Ricky, Ricky actually owned all three of those dogs at one point this year. Uh, trained, trained all three of them when they were young. And uh, man, that just says something about him. The way he hunts dogs and trains dogs. That's uh, that's something impressive that I don't think has ever happened, and I don't know if it'll ever happen again, but. While we're on here, Tyler, I guess might be a good time to talk a little bit about the scratching offense. I'm, I'm sure anyone with a, a pulse who enjoys coon hunting has probably saw a ton of talk about it all over uh, websites and social media and such. Not and uh, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. We we hated it that the situation arose, and of course we see everybody's suggestions. I always want to uh, tell people, you know, be sure you hear all sides of the story before you before you jump on a rampage and start going after folks on, on this type of thing. Um, we, we believe in the judges we have. We absolutely believe in uh, the panel of field reps that we had. And uh, obviously I was out there and if they, if they needed me, I was there uh, as a reference point for them, but they didn't need me. The rules pretty, pretty straightforward rule 11 D that you have to hear a dog before you cut loose. Um, of course, that's an implied scratch rule. Uh, so Whenever the dog is cut loose before uh, before a dog opens, uh, the dog is scratching, unfortunately. And with the dog having a lead at that time, uh, people were up in arms about it. But Tyler, let's let's uh, be serious for a second. If uh, there, there's no difference in our rules from whether a dog is up 300, down 300, or tied, uh, we have to hold people accountable for the rules. And when we have a thousand people on a live stream watching it. Um, it's not a time for us to be relaxed on the rules. We set the precedent for UKC right there live on that YouTube that uh, the rules are to be enforced, uh, whether you got a lead or not. Um, and I think it's a time when emotions were high. I don't think that it was intentional. I think it was an honest mistake. But unfortunately, uh, the, the rules are set and those are the, what we have to go by. And it's unfortunate for all involved. Being that handler that turned his dog loose for time, you know, I mean, he I don't know him, but I mean, I, and I've never been in that situation. I could only imagine being in that situation and, and the nerves that are running through you, you know, and I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong now, in UKC, you don't have to walk a minute, then wait for a dog to bark, right? You just walk till you get ready. A absolutely. And then in, uh, in, in this, we got a non-hunting judge. Uh, they, they were working in tandem, obviously. They got to a place where, uh, where they were ready to, to run the eight on the struck in dogs. And that's whenever the incident occurred, you're, you're spot on. There's no minutes. You just, uh, you walk a reasonable distance 
And, uh, yeah, like you said, the handler uh, nerves are at an all-time high, but, man, that handler was uh, just as respectable as you could be um, in that time. And I, I have a lot of respect for that guy uh, on how he handled that whole that whole situation. Says a lot about his character. Yeah, I mean, it, and it does. And I don't know how he handled it, or but just from hearing what you're saying, yeah, that would <laughs> – that'd be a tough one to swallow. But, I mean, take it on the chin, move on, you know I mean? I don't know. I wasn't there and I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't try not to form an opinion about anything because mine are usually wrong and I figured out might as well name have them, you know? So, so how does it make you feel growing up as a coon hunter and to see that those dogs competing at that high of a level, has it changed your perspective on what a coon dog really is? You know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I feel like I'd hunted with good dogs when I got to this job and I've hunted with them in this level and any dog can look good on any night. Any dog can look bad on any night, but the difference between the dogs that are in these final casts and the ones that I'm trotting out in the woods is consistency. These dogs are consistently uh, tree and coons and, uh, and not making very many mistakes and, and to make it to a final uh, final cast of a world championship that's what it takes you have to I think it's a it's a year-long process basically you're getting a win in the RQE uh, you got to make it through the zones which is one of the tougher hunts in my opinion because you just can't make a mistake there but and you still ought to have to have decent scores or double up one of the two you make it through the zones you get to the finals where you're going against 104 of the best dogs in the country and these dogs made it through three rounds at the world finals to make it to this final cast and you know three rounds in two days to make it to this final cast uh, that's consistent coon triggers, not making mistakes. And it's just a, a different level of dog than, uh, you know, I was used to seeing all the time. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine, I actually know that, that, uh, the dog that won it, he actually was down here for a while. Uh, a couple guys that I hunt with had him, I think that Bryant bought him from him and I'm glad to see him doing good. It's pretty cool. So what all behind the scenes work goes into an event like UKC World? Yeah, there's uh, obviously there's there's quite a bit of, of work behind the scenes that people wouldn't ever know about. That that's kind of what I spoke to earlier about the teams that we have at UKC. Um, obviously, our hunting ops department uh, handles a lot of the entry stuff, putting the hunt and show stuff together, and that sort of thing. And uh, and uh, we have we're efficient at that, I believe. But we also have other departments with, within the registry that help us out a lot. Um, obviously, our media media department is very good at what they do. Uh, their social media presence, advertising on the website, in the bloodlines, those those folks over there are a major help to us in spreading the word and uh, getting the recognition out there for the ones who win and advance and deserve to be plastered all over the internet and magazines and all that good stuff. And then also we have what we call the major event department at the United Kennel Club, and they would handle getting catered in food like we did for a Thursday night dinner, had a really nice uh, chicken dinner catered in for the participants, the guides, the judges, the local clubs that were helping out. They'll get together everything that that makes the event look good, uh, scheduling everything for us as far as uh, setting up any uh, outside amenities that we need. And they're uh, they're a huge help to us at each of the major events. Um, so it takes like it takes a whole team. It's just not Alan and I putting on these major events, because if it was, it would be a, a table and some entry slips. These There's a lot of people that really help us out to make it um make it more of a spectacle and make it, 
have that big event feel to it. Yeah, and that prestige, you know, having the catered dinner, I mean, that really adds to all that to me. And speaking of prestige, you know, Tournament of Champions, right? I mean, that was awesome. I mean, I'm not even going to lie. I mean, I think that that was probably what y'all's first one to do the uh, the broadcasting when Mr. Steve and the other guy was there. And that was kind of the first time y'all have ever done that, right? Yeah, uh, this was our first tournament of champions, and yeah. that was our live. That was our first live play-by-play that night. Yeah. You're correct. Yep. Yeah. So, how does UKC World, you know, since it's fresh on your mind, how did that differ from the tournament of champions? Yeah. So, so they are a little bit different. Uh, so the the world finals actually has 104 dogs that move on from the zones to the finals. Uh, the TOC did have a 64 dog final. Um, with us having uh, uh, last year, we had we projected probably 600 dogs to qualify for that event and ended up with closer to 1100, uh, somewhere like around a thousand fifty or 60. I don't remember the exact number. Uh, so we were kind of in a panic mode and had to add a region at the last second because we were, uh, what we were so nervous about is a dog in the regions is what we call them, which is similar to the zones for the world championship, a dog getting double cast wins. there and not being able to, that's a nightmare situation for us. Cause if a dog doesn't lose, how do they not advance? So, so this year, expecting it to be at least on par with last year, if not bigger, we have made some adjustments to it. Instead of a 64-dog final, we're now going to have a 96-dog final. Um, with adjusting that, we obviously had to adjust the payout to uh, to not lessen it any. We don't want to make the, the hunt with less money. So uh, upper management actually gave us the freedom to uh, – to make that hunt a $250,000 purse now instead of a $200,000 purse. So that'll give us the freedom to move those extra dogs to the finals and avoid any double cast winners not ad, not advancing in the regions. Um, if you want to talk about some more uh, differences between the TOC finals and the uh, uh, the world finals, there's some, uh, some other things going on there. One thing that I like about the TOC finals is we have the regions, uh, the very first weekend in April, I think it's the first and second this year. And it's actually a couple week gap before we get to the finals. And that does a couple of different things. Obviously it gives us time to showcase the dogs more that make it to the finals, but also it gives a person a chance to not have to take two weeks in a row off work. And that's a lot easier on a working man, as you know, and that, that's the one thing about the world that's hard has having the zones and then the finals on consecutive weekends uh, that can make it pretty tough. Obviously, the, uh, the, when we think of TOC, we're thinking about the money that's on the line there. You know, $250,000 payout at the World Hunt. We got a $25,000 payout. But the World Hunt is, like we've talked about, it's that prestige. It's that world championship title. That one is always going to mean a lot to folks. So that's a kind of a different one being a, a larger sum money hunt and one being just the title and prestige of being world champion. The formats are a little bit different in there. Uh, the world, obviously, we started out with 104 dogs, uh, cut them into 26 four-dog casts to get 26 cast uh, winners on uh, Friday night in the early round. Um, we sent those out in seven different casts, five four-dog casts and two three-dog casts to get a seven dogs in the uh, let's see, I guess that's a semifinals late on Friday night. And uh, in, with seven dogs left, we cut it into three different casts. We had a three-dog cast and two heads-up casts, which was just a random draw. We did it right there with the folks in hand, and that left us with a three-dog final. The TOC is similar, but there are less dogs there, and it's a little, uh, little different breakdown. Uh, we're going to start out with 96 dogs, cut them into 24 four-dog casts. We'll have uh, 24 cast winners late on Friday where we'll end up with six 
cast winners. And then on Saturday night, we'll have uh, three heads up cast early on Saturday night. And then we'll have a three dog final late on, on Saturday night to get our TOC champion. Are the TOC regionals, it's going to work like uh, the zones do as far as even with the 94 dogs, you're going to have uh, more dogs from this region than you do this one because of participation and all. That's right. It, we, yeah. we pro-rate it based on the number of entries mm-hmm. in each region. Uh just makes sense to do it that way. Makes sense for sure. So y'all aren't, um, with the 96 dog, y'all, there's really no way to, if you do have the double cast winner to not get in, y'all pretty much mitigated that. Is there... I mean, I'll never, I'll never say never, but if we, we ran percentages of the world zones, which is basically the only data that we have over the past, you know, uh, five, six years, and it would take a real an anomaly of a year of double cast winners to make to make that happen. And I just do not see how the numbers could work out to where that would happen. So we feel we feel safe with this number up until a very uh, a very high number of entries. So I feel safe with this number. Yeah, that's a lot. But I mean, y'all increased purse, and I that's awesome, really. So how do you feel? TOC has positively affected the sport of coon hunt. You know, it's it's hard for me to give you a straight answer as far as being a coon hunter since I'm on the administrative side of it. How would I feel if I was hunting? I would probably like it because it's a it's an affordable event with a major payout. I think that's what's uh, most lucrative uh, about it to most coon hunters. You know, I've had a lot of talks with hunters, obviously, who who love the event. Um, it gives them a reason to hunt their grand nights. I got a lot of buddies who who didn't hunt UKC uh, very much, frankly, before this, uh, prefer other registries. And this is a reason to break their dogs out and go hunt UKC events. And th- those are the two demographics that we were going for uh, when this when this hunt was placed. And I don't want to take credit for it. Alan and had this hunt envisioned much before I ever got there, but I was glad to be a part of uh, of making it happen. Um and honestly, the, the the biggest thing about TOC uh, for me is that last year it saved us. I think in the COVID year, what could have been a disaster of a year, the TOC kept us alive. I believe as far as hunt entries go, because people were still trying to get those wins. You know, two it was a, basically a two hundred thousand dollar gamble for the registry. Uh, they believed in us. They believed in the numbers that we brought to the table. And uh, you know, when COVID hit, everybody had a had a sinking feeling in their gut. You know, got we've already advertised this hunt. We're going to have it. We're going to eat the money if we have to. And, uh, and honestly, the gamble paid off for us because we're seeing the increase in numbers. We're seeing a, an uptick in, in local club participation in most areas of the country. You know, some, some unfortunately aren't seeing that, but in a lot of places across the country, they're seeing an uptick in their numbers. Um, and you know, this, this just shows what happens when, whenever hunters get together and they get creative uh, this I like to always say this was a hunt made by coon hunters for coon hunters because the coon hunters really helped make this event happen. Yeah, and <laughs> I bet y'all were shining like a diamond when it come time come around time, huh? Hey, that uh, that night in uh, April, watching that final on the the live play by play was one of the prouder nights of my life. Man, it, it all came together just how we liked and man, all the positive feedback that we were getting, it was, uh, it, it honestly was one of the, the more proud moments of my life seeing that come together like that. It was awesome. And it was so professional how y'all had it set up. It was just, I can't, and I applaud UKC for doing that. That was, that was great. So out of the big three major events, you know, Autumn Oaks, Winter Classic and Grand America, which is the toughest to coordinate and why? 
Yeah. So, so this is something that a uh, misconception that I had when I started the job as well, but the grand American is actually their own, their own hunt, their own event. Uh, they have a, a grand American committee down there in South Carolina. So for us, uh, we, we may help them a little bit beforehand, uh, get some entry stuff together. Um, but mostly they handle all that stuff on their own and they do an awesome job at that. And the grand American is a great event. I always look forward to going to it early in the year. As far as Winter Classic and Autumn Oaks go, those two are, are pretty similar on our behalf. If I'm talking about which one's more difficult, which one's more time-consuming, uh, it's probably going to be Autumn Oaks, a little bit more moving pieces. There's obviously more dogs, more vendors. Uh, there's more stuff going on through the week. A lot of work goes into Autumn Oaks. Uh, you work hard for it all year. You get there that week, uh, and you blink, and it's over with. <laughs> it's uh, It's a lot goes into that one for sure. Man, that is some interesting stuff about Grand American. I did not know that. I really didn't. You know, I uh, didn't either. They used to, they actually used to be a big AKC event. And uh, I think they bought them. It must have been mid 2000s. And I always thought it was a, a UKC uh, ran event, just like the Winter Classic and, and Autumn Oaks. But I guess we're just too young to remember those days. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Man, you're talking about a lot of, uh, <laughs> of legwork goes into that by that club. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's a big group of clubs on there, but yeah, they do an awesome job at that. So out of those three, even though Grand America, it's a UKC sanctioned event, right? But it's not a, not, not put on by UKC. Do you have a personal favorite out of those three and why? You know, all, all three are super enjoyable in their own, own ways. Uh, one thing I like about them is they're all in different parts of the country. You know, you're, you're in the heartland for autumn oaks for, uh, in Richmond, Indiana, you're over on the East Coast and, and uh, you know, in South Carolina, Orangeburg, South Carolina for, for Grand American. And then you're over in Batesville, Mississippi for, for Winter Classic. And each each of the three bring their own flavor. You know, Grand American is that first big event of the year. There's a load of vendors there. And honestly, it's a different it's a different crowd of people for me. It's people that I don't see at every event. Um, there's not a lot of overlap with the people that go there. Uh, compared to a lot of the events of the year. Just a lot of people there, period. Um, Winter Classic, I always used to love to go to go to that one. It has that big venue. Um, it has that big event feel when you go in the in the uh, building there and everything's there bunched up together. Um, and, you know, that's about as far southwest as I go in a normal year. Um, so it's kind of cool for me to get out that way. Um, and then, of course, when you talk about Autumn Oaks, it, it has to be my favorite, right? I mean, the prestige at Autumn Oaks, um, the wins that people uh, shoot for there, you crown in the national grand champion, the national grand night champion, uh, the new national dual champion. Um, I love getting there. We get there on uh, Tuesday already, and there's already campers everywhere. People have already got their spots. Um, and it's more of a family type feel at that event, in my opinion. It's more of like a family reunion. But uh, I will say that I enjoy the two early in the year there, especially now that I live in Michigan, to get away from the cold uh, for a couple weeks. <laughs> or at least it's not as cold. Man, I don't know. I heard the Winter Classic. I was offshore. But uh, I heard it was pretty cold there last year. Yeah. Well, luckily we got that. out of there just in time because I guess the worst happened the week after. It was, uh, man, it was a rough rough couple weeks this year for that, for that part of the country. Yeah. Well, any kind of snow down here, I mean, we freak out. You know, I mean – I'm sure you understand. Well, maybe East Tennessee, y'all probably got a little bit, but I'm sure it's nothing like y'all do up there in Michigan. Yeah, I always make the joke with the people I work with. If we got a quarter inch of snow down in Southeast Tennessee, it shut the town down for a week. 
now I wake up and there's a foot of snow and the, the road looks like it ain't even snowed yet. And I got to go to work anyways. Those snow days are over. Yeah. I, that's, <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know what to do with a, a foot of snow. I've never seen. <laughs> yeah. It's so, <laughs> I bet so what major progressions do you see happening with the UKC coon hunting program in the next five years? <clears throat> you know, obviously I hope that uh, the numbers keep trending in the right direction. I hope that uh, the coon hunter numbers don't just keep falling off with uh, with all the obstacles we're up against. But, uh, you know, that's that's one thing that I have in mind. But the, the one thing that you can see us working on at every event we do now, and that's more recognition for the winners, more uh, recognition on the hunt, more recognition for the show winners, and just spotlighting the sport the best we can always say i just want to make coon hunting mainstream uh wake up turn on your tv and and there's some uh hounds being turned loose you know pull up youtube and there it is everywhere you know and and you're helping with this one you know pull up spotify and uh and listen to some podcasts about coon hunting so you're helping us out there but i want to make coon hunting as mainstream as possible make it on the level that deer hunting and turkey hunting is and bass fishing and that type of stuff and that's kind of what we're going for we want to make the average person sitting around and make them know what coon hunting is. So they're not so uh, ignorant to what it is and they can actually uh, maybe learn to live with us better. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. How much do you feel the houndsman voice has influenced the recent innovations at UKC? You know, Alan and I take it uh, upon ourselves to talk to as many houndsmen and women as we can when making our decisions. I want to say that they're a huge part of everything that we do. Alan and I are houndsmen. Todd Killam, our vice president's a houndsman. Um, for many years, those guys have been involved in the sport, and uh, and we take everything that the houndsmen and women say into consideration. Uh, and, you know, we, we talk to those folks. We find out what we can do to make things better. What can we do to advance the sport? And it, it, they they have a lot of sway with us. We we like to to hear that feedback from them, whether it's uh, negative feedback or positive feedback. We we it helps us advance as a company and as a registry. That's for sure. And that's great to hear. You know, I mean, it really is. So since the money hunts have become such a big part of UKC now. Do you see UKC developing some type of system to track a handler's earnings, a dog's earnings, and like pup's earnings? Right. Yeah, and this is a question that we've gotten a few times uh, recently. I say a few times, a handful of times recently. Um, you know, we, we've had the slams for years, but I, lately with some of our major events starting to have these payouts, there has been more and more questions about it. You know, at, at the time of us sitting here talking about it, there hasn't been any serious discussions about making it happen. But like I just told you, we uh, we listen to the houndsmen. And uh, if it's something that we need to take into consideration, you know, we're open for discussions always. So, um, but, uh, you know, as of right now talking to you, there hasn't been any serious discussions within any of our meetings about making that happen at this point. I personally think it'd be pretty cool because if you got a dog that, like you said, the slams are getting to be, you know, most people are going to slams. I know around here, especially, it might give you another title to hunt towards, even if they want to do like a money champion, money, you know, I don't know, but it would be pretty cool, especially with the money hunts becoming such a big part. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Not a bad idea, bud. <laughs> so, so, Trevor, what are your personal goals within UKC? <clears throat> You know, my biggest goal is is just to help maintain the prestige, uh, the credibility and the integrity of the registry and our events that we already have. You know, UKC is is the first registry I ever heard of of a hunter. It's it's one that uh, most every coon hunter knows. There's a lot of uh, 
a lot of integrity and prestige that goes into uh, everything that we do. And I want to help maintain that and carry it forward. I want to help us grow with the times though. You know, uh, uh, we're advancing, the world's changing. We have to advance with that time, but also preserve that history. And uh, I'll always remember where we came from at the same time. A couple of the bigger <laughs> events that I've been around for that have been implemented. I want to like TOC and the new top 10 bench show program that we started uh, just last year with a $15,000 payout for the bench showers. Um, I want to help those events grow and become more and more popular, but also, you know, our other major events, the world winter classic youth nationals, you know, grand American automobiles. So we've got to keep those in the limelight, keep those progressing forward. Um, and, and like I talked about a little bit earlier, I think my biggest goal is to just grow the amount of eyes that see our sport in a positive light. Um, I want to be a, a positive person out there for all the coon hunters to see um, and for non-coon hunters to see. And uh, uh, I want to uh, to set a positive example and uh, and just make coon hunting as mainstream as possible. To hear you say that, that's your goal, that's just, that's great. It really is. To me, it is. I mean, I, I feel like that we do need to make this sport more mainstream, right? And to be able to shine a positive light on it. You know, I was thinking these registries, whichever one it was, you know, I do this podcast. I'm independent. I think it would be cool for the registries to have their own podcast, to be able to interview the winners and to be able to do all that. You know, I don't, I know it'd be work for somebody, but I think that would be cool. I I recommended it in my very first interview. Um, The day I started, we talked about getting, uh, I agree with you. I would love, you know, maybe not the the week to week stuff that you're doing, yeah, um, but but maybe we're we're going into let's say it's a couple of weeks before Autumn Oaks and we can jump on there and say, hey, you know, we can talk about how Autumn Oaks works. We can talk about the entry process. We can talk about entry fees and camping and stuff mm-hmm. and making videos and and uh, these type of podcasts. It's the way that we need to be spreading the word right now. It's not really that hard to do. I mean, if I can <laughs> redneck South Mississippi figure out how to do it, I mean anybody can. You know, I tell people that all the time. I think. Uh-huh. But I do think it would be cool. And then you could do the interviews with the winners, like you said, and you kind of give a, a, okay, these hotels are good to to stay at, you know, and I, I just, I think it would be cool and give updates on the handler races maybe that you got going on and the dog yeah. races. I, and yeah. the biggest thing I think is, man, getting on there and doing like a, a rule interpretations every now and then. Yes, for sure. Would, man, we, we're missing the ball on that. Eh, only so much we can do. But, uh, yeah. At any time, whatever, before Autumn Oaks, this open invite to UN Allen. If y'all did want to use this platform to be able to spread that, you know, Autumn Oaks, Winter Class, whatever, and say, hey, look, this is where we need to go. You need to do this. And I'd be open to that, too. You know what I mean? If that was something that y'all would be interested in. Um, I really appreciate that. Especially rule interpretation. I think that would be a great podcast. Oh. And there's nobody in the world better than at rules than Alan Gingrich. I'm telling you, yeah, I know. <laughs> they're sharp. <laughs> It'd be great to get him get him on here. I had that dude as professional as can be. Yeah, I don't know if he told you about our not mine and his spat, but my spat with the UKC form. No, um, I was not aware of it. Uh, well, I'd post on there about hey, you know, I got an episode. This we'll delete this, all this, but I just want to tell you real quick, and that they would delete it. And they kept deleting it, kept deleting it. Well, I got mad. So I went and posted it on every single, every one of them. You know, like Walker's, uh, Red Bones, <laughs> Blue Ticks. Well, yeah. they got really mad then. And they messaged me and said, look, you need to quit spamming. This is a UKC board. And I'm like, man, my podcast isn't about UKC or PKC. 
I'm neutral. I just care about growing the sport. I, I posted on UKC Dogs where they said I or UKC Coonhounds where I said I could. So I messaged Mr. Allen about it and I said, look, I'm having this problem. And that guy was so professional with me. It just blew me away the way that he represented the UKC organization. I really was just blown away. I really was. Did he get you all squared away? Yes, he did. We And it's it's all fine now. I don't know who was. He didn't like it too much when I went posting. It took him a few days to get them all, too. I, I didn't know. It was pretty funny. And, I mean, I, I shouldn't have been like that. Not, because I had Eddie Simmons on there. And he yeah. did win the PKC world and all that. But I mean, and then I agree with Michelle and I will not post anybody on there. That is strict PKC. I won't, won't do it. I respect that. I completely understand. Yeah. You know, so what is the performance program and, and how does it work? Yeah. So the performance program was something that uh, started, I don't know, it's been 15, 20 years ago now at this point, but uh, I know its origin, its origin was a, just to be our pup incentive program. Um, basically, uh, there's three steps to, to performance register your dog. The sire has to be uh, DNA'd and, and paid up every, each year that it's planning to have litters. Um, the breeder would pay up their, their litter. Um, and then the, the owner of the pup would pay up their dog. I think it's $30 to pay up a pup, $30 to pay up a litter, and then to pay up your sire it just depends on when you do it. So the earlier you do it, the better, um, the cheaper it is. Um, and and when you're paying up a pup, it has to be under a year old. You know, it's a little bit of a gamble, but is it really much of a gamble anymore? Because most dogs are, are clicking by one-year-old these days. Uh, people don't waste no time uh, getting them ready for the, for the big show. Um, but you know, every win that a dog that's paid up uh, gets, it accrues money towards it. Uh, I say it, it accrues points, and those points are worth money. So each win you get through the year uh, gets you a point, um, and a, a certain amount of that point of the money for that point goes to the pup. A certain amount goes to the breeder, and a certain amount goes to the sire. Um, and the way it works is the more dogs you beat, the more dogs you defeat, the more points you get. So that's kind of the the basic outline of the performance program. And I think that that's great. And you can have a chance to, you know, recoup some of that investment, you know, with UKC paying money at these events. Now, I think it's great just for the fact of the working guy, man, you know, it takes a while to save up, be able to go to one of these events or something and to be able to, to have a chance. I'm not gonna say you're going to win it, but at least you got a chance, you know, <laughs> at least you were yeah. there. Hey, I think you that's know, great. Uh, my, my local club back home, back in Tennessee, the uh, 10 mile club there in Decatur, Tennessee, um, Alan Roberts was a big mentor for me and uh, in, in where I've got today. And still, I just I respect the heck out of that guy. He runs an awesome club down there in Tennessee. And his big thing once, you know, I was working here when the T TOC started, but he's pushing that area towards entering these UKC events. And he's, you know, what he's using on his platform is, Right now, you're you're hunting for multiple things. All he does is have double header slams, so he gets those guys with the money. If your dog's performance, you're accruing points towards a, a check at the end of the year. So for every dog you defeat at these slams, you're getting money built up, and also every win you get, you're getting money or you're getting wins uh, towards qualifying for TOC. So it's uh, it, it's three things you're working for that most people probably don't realize, but uh, uh, stuff is starting to stack up in your favor at some of these local level events. So all, all those clubs got to do is, you know, put in a little bit of effort and they can spread the word on that type of stuff and maybe help themselves out a little bit. Has UKC thought about going to any weekday hunts? 
You know, that's another thing that we've had discussions about, actually, m- multiple discussions about. And, uh, you know, there's more more and more events happening on the weekends. It's almost impossible to find a clear weekend anymore. And maybe that's uh, the way of the future. Uh, there's nothing concrete, but there's definitely been discussions about it. And, uh, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens as we progress forward. Trevor, I thank you, buddy, for coming on here, man. You've shared some great information with some people. I really do. And I applaud you. Alan, the whole team at UKC for all the innovations and being adaptive as y'all are, right? I mean, that's awesome. And we need a lot of that in coon hunting. I mean, if we're going to survive, we're going to have to be able to adapt and to become fluid and move with situations. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we log off or give a shout out to? Yeah, sure. I I appreciate you, uh, Tyler, inviting me on here um, and letting me talk a little bit on your platform. I appreciate what you're doing for coon hunters. Uh, you know, getting getting all these great interviews on there. I've listened to them, and you've had some great interviews. Uh, so I appreciate what you're doing for the sport. Um, I'd like to take a, just a second to thank all the houndsmen and women out there that have, have supported UKC and me the past couple of years um, and helped us move forward. I want to thank uh, UKC, of course, for the opportunity for helping me out, the upper management, and and Alan, of course, uh, freedom to make decisions. And, uh, you know, I've just learned a ton from Alan this year, this past uh, past couple of years. I don't think there's a better guy in the country at putting on uh, dog events. Uh, he just knows what he's doing. He's got a great feel for it, and I've learned a lot from him. And uh, I'd be remiss not to, you know, just give a shout-out to my, to my family. You know, I travel probably 15 to 20 weekends a year, maybe more than that. If I really broke it down, I'd hate to do so, uh, going to these events. So uh, big, uh, big shout-out to my wife and daughter for holding things down on the homestead while I'm gone. So I appreciate them putting up with me and my addiction to coon hunting that I have. So <laughs> like I said, buddy, I thank you. And he brought up some great points and I thank your family for letting you come on here. Cause I mean, I know it's tough, right? I mean, I'm gone half the time. Right. So, I mean, I know how it is and I do thank you then for letting you come on here. And, and I thank you KC for allowing you to come on here too, or however that works, you know, I'm, and you're a great representation of UKC, and I would like to tell them that, that you and Alan are both great faces of the sport and of United Kennel Club. And I just can't thank y'all enough for all everything that y'all do. And it might be a thankless job almost, but I am thanking y'all, and I think a lot of houndsmen do thank y'all. Hey, I appreciate that, man. And when we're down there in uh, in February, hope to see you at the Winter Classic. Come down there and talk to some folks, do some networking. I was thinking, I'm thinking about it, actually. I was going to tell you that if I'm home from offshore, I'm going to come and I'm going to hunt. It's just hard for me to figure out what weeks and days I'm going to be home with all this crap we got going on out there right now. But uh, like I said, buddy, I do thank you. And uh, you have a good day. Hey, sounds good, man. We'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. I really hope y'all enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you like what you heard here, go on over to Facebook. Give us a like, at Coon Hunting U. Also, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. And remember, if you need a new hunting light, do not overlook Superior. They make an awesome light, best customer service in the business. Man, their walking light and double red is the brightest I've ever seen. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. You can find the link in the description box below this. Coon Hunting University is a product of Audio Hound Productions. Until next time, y'all have a wonderful day.